Those of you that know me well know that I wear a cabbie cap on a consistent basis, and I've had people ask me before, like, why do I wear that? Well, it's in honor of an individual whom we have a wonderful guest with us today uh, that we'll, we'll be talking about, uh, an amazing man named Jay. For as little amount of time that I knew him, made an incredible mark in my life, and uh, this, is, this has been in honor of him. So I'm very proud that we have our guest today joining us to talk a little bit about Jay and about her experience in the life of Jay. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Can you give us your name, please? Thanks for having me. My name's Tina Karstensen. Thank you. And Tina, what is the date that's frozen in time for you? I think it'd be the month of August. Um, Jay was diagnosed in August, and I lost him in August, a year later. Tell us a little bit about that, the date in August that stands out. Um, well, I was at work, and Jay had had a lot of cramps and stomach pain, had had a few different diagnoses. It could be this, it could be that. And then he went in for a CT scan and gave me a call at work and said that he needed to get further examinations done because they were pretty sure it was a tumor. He was actually having a lot of cramps and stomach pain, but it wasn't the typical colon cancer symptoms. Um, I mean, he was only in his early 40s, so and he was athletic and ate well, and it didn't run in his family. So it, was, it wasn't the first thing you would think of. And he was actually, they said he was going to do the CT scan. So this was late, late August. And the CT scan was going to be like the end of September. And I told him, I'm like, dude, no, you need to call. You need to push harder. You've had this pain for a while. And in what he had shared with me, I thought it was like six months. And then come to find out he had had that pain for about two years off and on. But, you know, it was that same thing. I'm young. I'm healthy. It's it's probably just gas. Who knows? So we pushed the doctors harder, and he ended up getting in right after Labor Day weekend to get the colonoscopy done. What was the reaction of the medical staff, and, and how did they treat both Jay and you during this time when you're finding out the, the initial diagnosis and then through the first couple of uh, months? They were pretty shocked. Um, and I'll have to say uh, Dr. Shankar Raman is a, an earth angel. I mean, when Jay went in for surgery, he was in there a long time. The tumor was actually much larger than they thought, and it was intertwined. And then that's when they found out they couldn't actually get it out. It was the first time I've ever had a doctor just say, here's my cell phone number. Call me if you need me. And we got really close with Dr. Raman during that time, and he was an amazing physician. And Dr. Franco also played a role he came in and very well known for the type of cancer that Jay had. And they were all very kind. And, you know, I always, I wanted to know, you know, how long, how long? And they wouldn't really tell us, but they said, we can, we can treat it, but we probably can't cure it at this point. And we found out that he had actually, they assumed he had the cancer for seven to 10 years. So that would have put him at like 33 just to make sure we have this this listed correctly, this was stage four colon cancer, correct? Correct. He also had carcinomatosis, which is, and you know, I've I've let some things slip out of my mind. It's it's been a while, but basically the tumor had broken through his colon and started spitting little cells out into your his abdominal cavity, 
and it didn't really attach to his lungs or attach to, you know, the different organs you have in that area, but it was just kind of floating around in that liquid area. (laughs) So I'm really curious being, uh, the spouse of the individual that's going through this, was there anything that the the medical staff was uh, telling you that that may have not been the greatest way to to explore the topic with you specifically? I don't think so. They were all they were very kind and very informative. Um, I, I dug in, you know, I was reading everything I could find online. And so I would have questions, you know, as there was a surgery called I think it was hipex surgery where basically they cut you open your entire abdomen and take out as much of the tumors that they can find and then pour hot chemo in you and let that hang out for a little bit and then clean you out. So I was like, can we do this? And Dr. Franco, luckily enough, was one of the top surgeons that has done this surgery. I think that was about February-ish, and he was going to a big conference. So he took Jay's case with him to this conference to see if it was going to be something that made sense. And they felt that he was, when he came back, that his colleagues felt that he was just too far along. What was the initial reaction of the people around you, your friends, your family, when you shared the news with them? Everybody was shocked. I mean, you just, Jay was so alive and so much lived in the day-to-day. His, his favorite phrase was, be here now. And create a great day. I mean, it was, you just didn't think about, he didn't focus too much on the future. So it was really hard to think of what the future was going to hold now. And how do we get through this? And he, so it was, it was crazy. I mean, like I said, he was fit and active and young, very young. So, but we got support. I mean, everybody we talked to was, what can we do? How can we help? which was amazing. I mean, it brought forth a lot of, we had family that we didn't know we had in our friends. It was very, they were very compassionate. You had mentioned that you had just dug in with as much research as you could find, which is so you. Uh, (laughs) Is there, can we just jump straight to, was there anything that that really helped you uh, through the process as you're learning, as you're uh, becoming more familiar with what Jay was going through? Uh, any any books, any resources, anything that really stood out other than that particular surgery, exploratory surgery that you had mentioned? Um, I think it was just all in general kind of thing. The more I knew, the more it helped me accept some of the things that were going on. I was shocked with the stamina that I had and the willingness to jump in. I mean, there's things that, it's just funny. I, I can sit here and say, I'm almost 45 years old. I'm a woman and I've never changed a diaper, you know, and people are like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, but I also changed a colostomy bag for a year on my husband. So things that I would have never thought I'd be able to do, I was able to do. And I think a lot of that came from that research and knowing it had to be done and who else was going to do it. And I truly believe that I had a very short, short time with Jay. And I truly believe I was put into his life to help him through that. And I was very angry when we did lose him. But as I worked through that, I found that that was his story that I was just a chapter of. But it was a very important chapter for both him and me. 
That's beautiful. So would you, was there anything else that you really felt like you needed to hear in order to begin that grieving process? I think knowing, once I got to that part where I knew it was his story and not my story, having the support of me thinking that way, if that makes sense, he was such an integral part of my life. And I'm very blessed that I had him in that short period of time. And just, I think it was just the support of my friends and my family, truly. Can you recall any moments where it may have felt like it was a a bit of an elephant in the room when people were around you, or they maybe have felt like they were walking on eggshells in conversations with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything right afterwards. It's so hard to talk to somebody who's lost somebody. Because some of it just sounds like, oh, this is just what you're supposed to say. What do I say? Um, One thing I found that I didn't want to hear was, oh, it was his time. You know, it it was, he was, this was supposed to happen. And he's better off now. He's not in pain anymore. It's like, well, yeah, but he's also got a son and a mom and dad and all these people that he were left behind that have to deal with this. So I think I would offer that if you are talking to somebody who is grieving, just hug them, tell them you love them, and that you're there for them when they're ready to talk or if they need to talk. Had you experienced any uh, cancer in the past in your life? Uh, any family members? Any, any, anyone else that was close to you? Um, family members, yes, but I was never really close, as close to anyone. Um, I had a friend in high school that committed suicide. So that was probably as a junior, that was probably my first real involvement with death of somebody I was close to, you know, because my family members all lived far away. So we never were were overly close to any of them. So this was my first, I mean, Jay was, it was the first big, I have to deal with this. And then being a spouse, I also had to deal with all the other stuff, like letting everybody know and You know, the social worker, one of the first things she said to me was, you need to cancel his credit cards right away because people will see his obit and they'll try to steal his identity. And I'm just like, wait, this is not the stuff I want to think about right now. And, you know, I'm trying to call everybody the day he passed. I was laying out my front yard and trying to let everybody know. And then all of a sudden people started putting RIP on his Facebook page. And I'm just like, oh, social media. So there were people that saw it on Facebook. So then I started getting calls. You know, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you let me know? Well, I'm trying. I've got this list and I'm working down it and I can only do so much. Because this was a newer topic, how did you find the resources that you needed? As, as a spouse of someone that has died from cancer, did you find any support groups? Did you find any, um, any community organizations that you were able to tie to? Um, I went, it took a while for me to accept that I could use some help. You know, I thought, I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing. Um, he was at the hospice in Mercy, or Mercy Hospice in Johnston. And that social worker was when, who helped me with like the, the logistic type stuff. You know, you need to talk to these people. You need to talk to these people. As far as my emotional well-being, I was already medicated on antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills. And so I was just, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. I can take care of this. You know, I've been taking care of him for a year. 
And I started just, you know, going down. I'm a list person. So going down the list, check, check, check. And then I was on the board for Amanda the Panda, talking to people and being able to help other people who had lost helped me quite a bit because that's kind of how I work. If I can help somebody else, then I'm going to do it. It's kind of why I'm here today. It's so I can help other people know that, you know, you can move forward. But then after a while, I learned that, you know, maybe I should see a therapist. And I met Molly Douglas and she helped me work through a lot of things with art therapy. And that was really cool. Good. So art therapy is something that helped connect you. And I I know that you're a very creative individual. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you say that name again of the individual? Molly Douglas. I can't recall what her therapy group is called. I think it's, she has another group right now called Lit With For Men, but I don't know if that's what her actual service is called. The organization that you had mentioned, Amanda the Panda, that is under the large umbrella called Every Step, which I'll, I'll add that information to this, uh, this podcast as well. What is the, what's the best advice that you received uh, while grieving, especially from those at, at hospice? which they know well. That's that's what they're trained to do. They're beautiful human beings that I, I can't even imagine how they're able to do what they do. But what's the best ad, uh, best advice you received while grieving? Um, I think it was right when it actually happened. Jay was in hospice for only, I think it was three days. And I was with him 24-7. I did not want to leave that room. But then they were like, you need a break. You need a break. And Jay's best friend had been there, and he was getting ready to leave to go back to Omaha. So I walked him out. We were chit-chatting. And then my family stopped by, and I chit-chatted with them for a little bit. And then I went in and talked to, I think it was the chaplain, and was chit-chatting with him a little bit and the social worker. And then all of a sudden the nurse came running in and was like, you need to get in here now. And I was not with him when he took his last breath, which was very challenging for me after having been there and was obviously very upset. (laughs) And the chaplain looked at me and he's like, he didn't want you to be here. It was just his mom that was with him. I think that really hit home was that he didn't, Jay didn't want me to see that. And I know Jay told me, and he was a little hallucinatory there towards the end but he just looked at me and he's like I love you for everything you've done and he's like I'll see you again and I think that actually was it's not really advice but probably the thing that I took with me and knew and helps me move forward every day one of the things that I do want to cover uh, because I think that it's it's important for those that have had an expansive time now uh, between the loss of your loved one and the way life continues to move. Mm-hmm. I- I'm hoping if you're willing, I wonder if you would be willing to share the emotions that you were feeling around opening your heart to dating again. Sure. Um, so I think as I moved forward, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this dating thing. I went on match.com. And started meeting and talking to different people and which that could be an entire podcast all on its own. That was pretty crazy. And I 
met, he was a chiropractor. And all I had posted were headshots because, you know, I just wasn't really thinking about it. And then I was going to meet this guy and we were going to go for lunch. And I posted a full body shot of myself, you know, clothed, of course. And (laughs) he sent me back that he doesn't date women as big as me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big, big gal, but I'm not a supermodel by any means. And so then I changed, I got very vicious and I changed my match profile and I was like, okay, you know, I gained some weight while I was taking care of my dying husband. If you can't handle that, don't talk to me. And then Corey reached out and he was like, you know, he goes, you're beautiful. He goes, don't even let this one instance slow you down. He's like, you are a beautiful woman. So I'm like, okay, I think I can chit chat with this guy. But my walls were up. My walls were really, really up. And I was like, okay, I just want to text for a while. So we text or emailed for probably two weeks. And then I decided, okay, okay, I can meet you. But I was super paranoid. So I let like three or four of my friends know, okay, I'm meeting this guy. This is his name. This is where he lives. And we met at the Pagoda downtown and we went on a walk. We walked like six miles and just talked. And it was, it was nice to have somebody to talk to. But after losing my soulmate, I, I wasn't going to, you know, tiptoe around anything. I was just like, this is, this is me. If you don't like it, bail, you know, cause I've, I've lived through this. I was able to move forward and be on my own. And if you can't handle me my way, <laughs> sorry, hit the road. So then Corey and I dated off and on for a couple years. We had some ups and downs. I do have to say that he was extremely compassionate and was willing to, he helped me get through it quite a bit. And through my ups and downs and through having walls up and I was like, I can't see into the future. I can't guarantee that I want, you know, marriage or any of these things. And then we were broken up in 2016, but still good friends. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go on a road trip this weekend. And we're just talking. And I was like, I think I'm just going to kind of do go down to Arkansas and see what's up down there and see what it looks like. Never driven down there before. And he was like, oh, you want some company? I'm like, sure. So we're driving and he's telling me about these girls that he met that he was going to go on a date with. And I started thinking, I don't think I want to hear this. This is not cool. (laughs) So it was, we were down, weirdly enough, in Branson, Missouri, which both of us are hard rock kids. So Branson is just, you know, not a place we thought we would end up. And it was like all of a sudden a wall came down. And I'm pretty sure it was Jay saying, this is okay. You can do this. You know, I want you to do this. And we've been together solidly since then. That was April 2016. So it's okay. People, I mean, your, your spouse that you lost doesn't want you to give up on life. They don't want you to give up on love. And now, and Corey, Corey knows I have J days. And that's just what I call him. It's like, okay, today's a J day. And he lets me be. And he lets me do what I need to do. And I'm not sure that every guy would be able to do that. So I feel like I'm very lucky to, you know, I truly feel like I found another soulmate. 
which to get two in one life is pretty, I feel pretty blessed and pretty lucky. And I appreciate you sharing that story. I just feel like that's something that I, I know individuals can struggle with when they're in the grieving process. And I think it's really important to hear that there's there's continued light, there's continued opportunity. So thank you for sharing that. Can you share at all? You mentioned a couple of friends that you had told. Can you express the the feelings that those around you had when you said, I I met this guy, we're gonna we're gonna see where things go. Everyone seemed pretty cool with it. Some of my closer friends were, of course, you know, you met him on match, you know, are you sure he's legit? And Corey was a little down and out when we met. He had some things going on. Um, But it just, I was so comfortable with him that I was able to look over those things because, one, because he was so upfront about them. I mean, he was just like, okay, this is where I am in my life. And we've just had this brutal honesty with each other from day one, which I appreciate because I don't have time for games. I don't have time for drama. And most, I feel like most of my friends were really supportive though, almost instantly because they, they wanted to see me happy again because I was, it was a pretty dark time right after I lost him. I mean, Jay's sister was in town this past summer and the first thing she did was walk up and gave him a big hug. You know, she's like, I've seen you on Facebook for a couple years now, and I want to hug you. <laughs> so that was really cool. I think it was having having Jay's family accept it was one of the bigger deals to me than anything else. Okay, if a listener right now is experiencing the news that you received, what would be your advice to them? This is fresh. This is new. Their life is going to change moving forward. What is your advice to them? I think what you just said is perfect for part of it. I mean, your life will change. You know, things will be different. Definitely, you can continue to honor your lost one every day if you want to. But you do need to move forward. Staying in that rut and stay in the rut for the time that you need. Everybody grieves differently. And there is no A to B, A, B, C path. You know, you'll have your ups, you'll have your downs. Just knowing that they would want you to move forward and be happy and that you're, you're, you are still here. So you do need to create a great day each day. What's your lasting memory of Jay? There's times when I remember him when he was in hospice. And then, you know, other times when we were just out and about and we like to go to the zoo a lot. So there's those pop in quite often. But when he looked at me with just that big grin on his face and he's just like, you know, I love you and I will continue to love you. It That stuck. And I even have a little book that I bought him. I think it probably would have been in March. And it was just like the reasons why I love you or something to that effect that I wanted him to fill in the blanks kind of thing. So I would have that with me. And he said we were going to go to St. John for our honeymoon and never made it. But he's one of the things he wrote in there was, you still need to get to this island. I haven't yet. So <laughs> that keeps popping back into my head that I do need to go there. But I have the, the photo of him when he was at hospice. And he just has this big grin on his face. So he, you know, and I'm sure he knew what was going to happen. But he was still just making everybody happy up until that last day. I mean, the nurses all loved him. Uh, everybody loved him. He was just that had that energy that just continues to grow and glow. 
Tina, we love you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. And we look forward to seeing you on that island at some point. Thank you. To stay up to date on the latest from Facing Tomorrow, and for additional information and resources about this topic and more, go to facingtomorrow.org.